Hello, welcome to Reaching More Together, a multiplication network podcast. I'm your host, Abby Winter, and in this inaugural episode, I'm joined by Dr. John Wagenfeld, president and founder of Multiplication Network. If you've ever wondered how Multiplication Network was founded, or even what Multiplication Network does, you've come to the right place. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, John. Thank you. I am really appreciative of it. Um, So I'd like to start by learning a bit more about you. So if you could give me a bit more about your background, et cetera, that'd be great. All right. Well, I'm a missionary kid. I'm the oldest of five. And we, uh, when I was one, we left the United States and we went to the Patagonia in Argentina. First, my parents made a one-year stop in Costa Rica to learn Spanish. My brother Mike was born there, and then we went to three different cities in Argentina, two in the Patagonia, and one, and then the last seven years were in Buenos Aires in the capital. And in each of those cities, I uh, had a sister oh. be born, yeah, and they're all blonde, blue-eyed Argentines, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's a little bit about me. We, we came back here to the United States when I was uh, going to turn 16, mm-hmm. and we ended up in California where my dad was planting a Spanish church, and uh, I helped out with the youth group, sometimes playing guitar for, for the music, and uh, we also helped open up a community center for helping Latinos, uh, Mexicans and Central Americans mainly, who were coming to California to be able to learn uh, English and to find jobs. Mm-hmm. And you're married, right? I am. I'm married to Angela. We've been married, we're going on 33 years now, mm-hmm. and we have four children, two boys and two girls. The two boys are married. One of them already gave me a granddaughter, Aww. Vera Grace, and then I have two uh, daughters who are professional ballerinas at the Grand Rapids Ballet. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, we're yeah. very thankful. So you are obviously the founder and president of Multiplication Network. So I was wondering if you could tell us how exactly Multiplication Network started. I know I've heard rumors that there's a napkin story involved. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, the napkin story uh, is uh, actually on an airplane. Our brother uh, Raul Orlandi and I we're flying from Puerto Rico where we were both co-pastoring and planting a church called Prince of Peace. And we had been invited by Dr. Gary Teja to go do a church planting boot camp for CMTC. There was an organization based in Indiana and they had this, uh, what became fairly famous uh, church planting boot camps that many, many large denominations later uh, adopted and used as their own. But we went to Comodoro Rivadavia, which was one of the uh, places where I had grown up so it was fun to go back there as an adult. And Raul and I were talking all kinds of ideas on the way back of, you know, instead of just doing these two, three day seminars that are kind of a one-off training, what would happen if we would string together several seminars and use more of a modular format? Now later I would learn a lot more about that when I worked at uh, Bible League International, uh, people like Ron Vandergrand and Dave Stravers, uh, who are uh, now both related to Mission India, they, uh, they taught me a lot about uh, modular formats of training. But some of those, uh, how, how to line up some of those trainings, we put down on a, on a napkin early on, and uh, we're thinking, what if? And uh, that's a, one of the parts of the beginning of Multiplication Network. 
The other strand that is important besides the church planter boot camps that Dr. Gary Teha invited us to is to that I was uh, planting a church. This church was called Prince of Peace in uh, Bayamón, Puerto Rico. And we're talking in about the year 99 and 2000 when Neil Hageman came through town and he stayed by us for a couple of days. He was working with an organization called FLIT and he asked me to write a book. So that was the big surprise. So I did write that book. It's called uh, Holistic Church Growth Towards a High Impact Church. And in it we describe some of the characteristics of a healthy church. So what happens is that when you write a book, I found out people start inviting you to give talks. And so we had to write a, a, a seminar or a conference that had two sessions before lunch, two sessions after lunch, and we started connecting it that wherever we did boot camps, we would also do this holistic church growth. Uh, it's kind of a church revitalization uh, program, uh, a seminar. And so we started doing that. So that was a second strand that came into uh, that. And then the third one is that Angela and I, as we were planting the church, there would always be this question of, is there a better way to train more people to, mm. to maximize this so that instead of planting one church, we could be training 10 church planters or 100 church planters or someday maybe 10,000 church planters. Yeah, it's kind of amazing to hear that the organization just kind of sprung out of all of these different circumstances that came up. Um, so those are obviously some of the key events that led to Multiplication Network being founded. And how long has it been in existence now? Our very first uh, seminar uh, was this holistic church growth, which Alfredo Vallianes, Raul Orlandi, and Rosilio Roman and myself each led one of the four sessions on a Saturday. We did it at a Disciples of Christ Church on September 30 of the year 2000. So I like to identify not the writing of the books, which were a few years before, but the first seminar that we did uh, that is still being used today, even though it's in a uh, renewed, revised version, I like to identify that day, and we still to, uh, keep in our office the poster, uh, which is actually upstairs in our office, mm -hmm. and, uh, and celebrate that as our beginning. So, yeah, that was in, in the year 2000, so we're, we're, we're uh, soon going to celebrate our 25th year anniversary, so we're looking forward to that. But really, the board of directors wasn't founded until 2007, that's mm -hmm. so that people could give us money and that we could give uh, uh, a responsible you know, uh, receipt to people so that we would have the tax exemption for, mm -hmm. for business leaders who were starting to give us money because they believed in this vision. But, and it was only in 2010 that several of us left other employment and other ministries to focus full-time mm. on Multiplication Network. Yeah. How did people react when you officially decided to kind of put all of your eggs into the Multiplication <laughs> Network basket? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, for the most part, people were very encouraging. Everybody celebrated that I was following a calling, and so the work of Multiplication Network has always been done as a team. Mm -hmm. It's never been a solo project. So friends and colleagues have always been uh, uh, supportive and encouraging. I do think some people were probably surprised when I left uh, my previous employment because I was at an organization where just my department, the ministry department, had 
a $25 million budget. We had seven people, 700 people around the world in over 50 countries with quite a good operations happening all over. But I thought to myself, you know, they could always find leaders who would love to uh, operationalize that, uh, that good organization and continue their good work. Whereas it would not be easy to find someone who wanted to get into the little canoe and start rowing uh, with a new start, you know, starting something new. And I do have in me uh, an entrepreneurial spirit that God has put there. And so I thought, hey, let's, let's work with this team of uh, friends and see if we can get something new started that focuses, really focuses on training church planters with, in a way that is really highly reproducible, cost-effective, and verifiable. Mm-hmm. What is the vision of Multiplication Network, the vision and the mission statement? Do you know it off the top sure, of your head? Sure, <laughs> sure, yeah, we've had to share it many, many times, but particularly the vision, I think, is really, really crystal clear. What we want to see is a healthy church that is representing the kingdom of God in every single community. And when I break that down, the three uh, parts of that vision are, first, we want to see a healthy church, and we underline and bold the word healthy because uh, there's no sense in reproducing something that is unhealthy or that is actually sick or divisive or contentious or ungracious. We want to present a winsome gospel of Jesus Christ uh, and the grace of the kingdom of God. And so we want healthy churches that are not inward focused, but outward focused, that are missional in their posture, that are humble, that are wise, that are biblically grounded, and at the same time, culturally relevant. And so we want to see healthy churches. The second part is doing what? Well, they don't represent themselves, they represent Christ and his kingdom. They represent the kingdom of God. I I, um, define the kingdom of God as God's redemptive reign and rule in Jesus Christ over all creation. And so we're taking that cosmic reality of the kingdom of God, but also making it very personal to each individual, to each couple, to each family uh, who gets a chance to be part of a new congregation. And finally, where are we doing this? Well, in every community. And that's the part where, you know, some of us live in towns where you have three, four churches on every corner. You know, uh, I've, I see uh, some corners right here where I live where there are three churches, one on each corner, and people, of course, can choose which church they want to go to, but they don't realize that in many, many places around the world, uh, there are entire villages and cities and towns with no church whatsoever. And so we really want to make uh, progress in seeing that changed. Mm-hmm. You can kind of almost summarize it in the tagline of more churches and stronger churches. Yes, that's right. So why did you decide to go the training route, and how did you develop the training that we're using today? I think, uh, you know, most of us try to work in the area of our giftedness, but we also want to work in an area that we feel is strategic for the cause of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even in uh, leadership training organizations, and there are thousands of them, they'll say often, as I even saw this week, uh, speaking with a key leader in leadership development and theological training, that 85% of pastors are undertrained or have little or no training whatsoever around the world. And so there's a lot of room for training. But if you're sending out a couple to establish a new community of faith, something that Angela and I experienced in the flesh, because we've done it ourselves, we saw how important it is to have a mentor or a teacher 
and if and much better if you get some training along the way so that you can be supported for a year or two years of making sure that 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 nascent church that brand new congregation gets off to a good start it's like a little plant you know you put the seed in the seed is the word of god the spirit is the sun the good terrain the, the context the spirit moves in people's hearts uh, so that this will be effective for the cause of the kingdom but then as that plant grows you put a little stick next to it you know and you put a little rope around it or a little string to make sure that that little sapling will grow into a straw tree someday that's that's the vision of the training and the mentoring component that is today Multiplication Network. Yeah. How did you end up developing more churches and stronger churches training? I think our passion has always been the, the new work, going into places where the gospel uh, is needed. People don't realize there are hundreds of thousands of communities and towns and villages with no church whatsoever of any kind, not Baptist, not Reformed, not Lutheran, not Assemblies of God, not Pentecostal, no, no church whatsoever. And that's the thing that we're trying to change. And so it involves evangelism, it involves discipleship, but it is specifically targeted so that there will be new communities of faith with biblically trained leaders who are starting those new churches. And so we needed a one-year program, we thought, which would be the minimum uh, for a good training to help a church planter establish at least you know, 20, 25, uh, 30 people who could be part of that new congregation and start getting baptized and discipled in the ways of Jesus. And then, of course, right away you realize that one year is not a lot, so we formed a second year of stronger churches so that those same churches could be strengthened. But there is also a second use to the Stronger Churches program, and that is that sometimes we go to mother churches who say they're not ready to establish a daughter church because we use the mother-daughter model. So we can then go with Stronger Churches to the mother churches and say, if you don't feel you're ready, why don't you use our Stronger Churches material, strengthen your church for a year, and then maybe at the end we can talk again and have the conversation. Are you ready to establish a, a daughter church and a granddaughter church? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like you can kind of interchange when yeah. you do the different trainings, yeah. which is really neat. Yes. And you had mentioned um, a lot of different denominations in your explanation, and we're kind of non-denominational in a sense. Was that always the intention when you were developing the training, that it could be customized to cultural context and to denominational context? Yes. In fact, that very first uh, workshop that I talked about, the holistic church growth was written by the four of us that gave that talk and in it there's a reformed person a pentecostal person one guy who's christian missionary alliance and one who came from a methodist background Mm. in in the evangelical tradition and so those four came together and since then it has just uh, widened out and we serve over 150 partners around the world many many different denominations and the good thing is that our, our material is so gospel-centered and so Christ-centered that it has been used by all these partners that go all the way from Presbyterian to Pentecostal and most Trinitarian churches that are in between. Wow. You definitely don't see a lot of organizations very often that cater to so many different denominations and kind of demonstrate the church universal. So that's really cool to hear. One of the ways that we do that, Abby, is that... Uh, we, we say, here are these 12 modules. You can plug and play and use those. And then you can you teach your denominational distinctives in a 13th module. 
So module 13 is the module that any denomination can write up their own uh, material and if they have a particular emphasis about baptism or about how to take the offering or about how to uh, think of a particular doctrine, that's where they can teach uh, their own people that module. So you've mentioned a few times uh, the emphasis on healthy churches as well as multiplying more churches. Why is there such an emphasis on healthy churches? Because a lot, there are other organizations that talk about you know, like multiplying churches and even seminaries kind of talk more about like church planting, et cetera, but they don't necessarily talk about maintaining health. Mm. You know, I've seen a lot of uh, uh, churches in my travels now in over 130 countries, and I've seen that there are churches that are either in decline or plateaued or where you can feel or even see in the results of the Take Your Church's Pulse tool that we promote that they don't have a clear vision, it's not defined, uh, the leaders are poorly trained and uh, it might be a one-man show type place and you sometimes wonder whose kingdom are they building Mm -hmm. And we don't want to participate in that. We don't want to replicate that. I'm sure we'll make our own mistakes. We want to approach this with humility. But in as much as is possible, we have come up with 10 characteristics of a healthy church that we think are important. And we'd like to help these churches to have a good, solid base. You know, a healthy church is rooted, first of all, in the character and nature of God. So if they can be rooted in the nature and character of God, that's a good beginning. Then they understand their mission into the world, but they also try to be faithful and fruitful in their particular context. So if they can follow that descriptor, I think it's the beginning of a, of a church that can be courageous but humble in its missional posture to the world. Mm-hmm. And that in turn brings out more churches. Yes. So it's just kind of a com- like yeah. repeating cycle. It's like a fi- we talk about it like an infinity loop or a Ooh, figure eight. Mm-hmm. So you have more churches, which leads to stronger churches, and stronger churches leads to more churches. So it's a continuum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned that we're coming up on the 25th anniversary, and Multiplication Network has a goal to reach by 2025, right? So I was wondering if you could talk more about what exactly that goal is, why it was chosen, and how close we are to reaching it. <laughs> you bet. That's, it's, there's good news there. First of all, that we, we took advantage of the pandemic, which was a time when there was less travel, less conferencing, less cl- uh, meetings, meetings. And so on making use of Zoom and, and other uh, internet uh, platforms, we had 10 teams around the world work on discerning where would the Spirit be leading us as we listen to God, we listen to the Word, we listen to each other, and we listen to our stakeholders and our partners. And we did all that uh, listening, and then we came up with these goals. So one of our primary goals is to see 7,500 church planters being uh, trained and establishing new communities that are verifiable uh, in in about 60 countries around the world. Thankfully, we're already seeing that exceeded. So I think we aimed a little low. The Spirit had bigger plans. We'll see if, if, if it's a sustainable result. We don't just want a spike in our results. Mm-hmm. We want something that's sustainable and strategic. But uh, we believe that that one has been achieved and will continue to uh, uh, be at over 7,500 per year. 
The uh, second thing is that we'd like to have in 60 countries already leaders who are either full-time or part-time who are representing, multi representing multiplication network and doing the training out and the reporting in. If we can get uh, those uh, men and women of God with, with good character, with passion for the cause of more churches and stronger churches, we'll be in a really good place from 2025 forward to service the global church of Christ. And that's, that's what we'd like to have. People who know their country, their language, uh, their, the evangelical church that they're uh, ministering to, to, to further these programs that are blessing so many people. And then there are a few other details which are a little bit more challenging. Um, we'd like to be in 20 languages. And right now, uh, uh, we might be by next year in about 16. So we have to do a little bit more work to achieve that goal. We'd also like to see 100 church plants in every single country so that it's a work that would have at least three or four different classes going on and serving three or more partners. So for example, right now we're in about 31 countries that ha are servicing three partners or more. Some countries only service one or two partners. So we're very vulnerable there and not the whole evangelical church of the country doesn't know us. So we're going to try to get that to 60. It's an achievable goal, but it's going to take some work. Mm -hmm. I appreciate the honesty that like some things are going exceedingly well and other things we still need to work on. That's right. Yeah, so yeah, I appreciate that. Real life, that. real time. Yeah, so obviously Multiplication Network is an international organization, so we have staff all over the world. Yeah. Have you um, dealt with some challenges in leading an organization that is international? And what have been maybe some of the more difficult aspects of working internationally? Sure. Some of the things that come to mind are uh, the cross-cultural communication, understanding uh, uh, cultural intelligence. It becomes very important for us to have teams who are well-trained in these areas, who understand uh, that what flies in one culture doesn't fly in another culture, the ways of communicating, the way that leadership is understood, how to show respect. In some countries, they show incredible deference to leaders. In others, they just want to be one more of the guys. And so it's very different. And these things are studied. There's a lot of literature that one can look at. It's one of my favorite topics, actually. So I think overall we're doing well, but we do bump into things once in a while that are cultural. And of course, you have great distances, different languages, different uh, ways of doing things, diff different ways of perceiving things. And so we have to be just very attentive. One of the areas also is the area of finances, how to transfer finances to uh, make sure there's transparency in how the finances are used and to communicate that between our team members. Um, you know, now with the laws of anti-terrorism and to make sure that we're not funding something that we're not supposed to be funding, uh, we have to be really careful to cross our T's and dot our I's in even how finances are transferred from one country to another. So there are a lot of things that go into that. How do you care for people? What is the insurance that's available in each country? How do people usually take care of their families? In some countries, when you hire one person, you're actually, in their culture, hiring the whole family. How does that work? And so there are many different things that we have to be constantly aware of and communicating and seeking clarity so that we have mutual understanding as a global organization. Mm -hmm. So besides the 
potential international conflicts. What are some maybe blessings or challenges that you've seen in your role as president of Multiplication Network? Some of the blessings, of course, are being able to take the pulse of the global church. I just love it that we can see the African expression of the church and, and many subcultures that are within the African uh, culture and trying to understand the nuances there. And it enriches our own view about the gospel and it enriches our own view about who God is. Because if every culture is made in the image of God, by getting to know a new culture, every time you get into a new culture, you're learning a little bit more about God. So it's fantastic to be able to uh, have interaction with the Latin American church, the Asian church, or the European church. And those are just big terms. And then you have all the, the subsets of each country and each culture within a country. For example, in Spain, uh, when you work with, with the work that we have in Spain, you have three cultures going on there where the evangelical church has worked. One is the Spaniards, which has been the most difficult person, but we're seeing some some good results there. Then you have the Gypsy Church, which is one of the biggest uh, segments of the Evangelical Church of Spain. And then you have the immigrants who are from Ecuador, Peru, and many Latin American countries, but residing now for years and working in Spain. And so you have three different approaches and, of course, many other subsets in, in just one country, in a beautiful country of Spain. Mm-hmm. It's really cool to like hear about Spain and kind of like an example of how contextualization like happens on the ground. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you would like to bring up that I haven't asked you? You know, I think um, the one thing that if new people are going to be um, looking, taking a look at Multiplication Network, I would, want, I would want them to know just a few of our distinctives of so some of the things mm-hmm. that we think are really valuable about Multiplication Network. And the first of those is that we do verifiable ministry. So we're not just about activity, we are about achievement. We would like to, the, to be involved in activity that leads to a specific result that is measurable and that is verifiable. And so reporting on that is very important to us, the accountability of verifiable ministry. That's one of our distinctives. And I praise the Lord because until now, um, we have seen so many uh, business leaders and business owners who are supporting and, and missions committees and churches and individuals and foundations who are supporting Multiplication Network. And one of the things they tell me again and again is they love the reporting and how we take it seriously. And even if there's something bad to report, we'll come back and honestly tell them that. The second thing I would want to mention is the emphasis we have on national leaders. So important for us that we're not about sending expatriates. We're not about sending Americans like from the West to the rest. We're about training national leaders who already know the language, who are already there, they're doing it at a fraction of the cost, and by the time you've spent the first $100,000 in a year or two with uh, a missionary family, you've already trained like 70 or 80 church plants, uh, church planters who have established new communities of the kingdom. So there's still room for in missions for missionaries, but really the revolution in missions of the last few decades is investing in indigenous leaders and hit the ground running for the cause of the gospel. This is the way of now and the way of the future. And uh, finally, I guess I would say that it's all about servant leadership and teamwork. And I praise the Lord that he has brought together 
a team around the world now in over 60 countries. We got reports, yeah, from over 69 countries uh, just this year, and I think it'll cross 70 soon, uh, where we have uh, good, healthy teams that are serving the Lord and serving each other uh, with courage but with humility. And I just praise the Lord that we can do it as a team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely really exciting to hear. Um, so as we're closing, I just wanted to ask if there was a story that you've heard in all of your travels um, that has really impacted you and why that story has really impacted you. Yeah, the one I share the most often is the one of uh, Antonio. And you, you probably have some pictures. I don't know if you maybe can share those with some people who are interested. But Antonio, you know, was going blind. And uh, he's with the Church of God, one of our partners in Venezuela, you know, a country that's, you know, um, in an incredible state of corruption and, and uh, economic problems and just, it's very, very difficult. That's why hundreds of thousands have actually fled the country to neighboring countries and even to the United States. But in that context, in the, con in the barrio or the neighborhood of Aguas Negras, which means black waters, he went to plant a church and there he met with Soleni and Soleni had recently had a baby. Uh, life was already a bit difficult for her, and then this ba this baby, uh, his name is Jaiber, was born without hands and without feet. And so her life was looking very, very difficult. But right about that time, uh, Antonio meets with Soleni, shares the, the, the good news of Jesus Christ. She repents of her sins, accepts Jesus as Lord and Savior, and we have a picture of her with a faint smile where I think that's the symbol of the hope of the gospel that she will no longer have to raise that child alone. But even though this uh, church probably meets in a very humble place, the picture that I have is under a mango tree and there are maybe 30 or 40 people, lots of children. And uh, Antonio successfully has planted that church. And what I like is that behind that story, when I talk to the trainers of Multiplication Network, is they say that there's a string of mother churches who planted daughter churches who planted granddaughter churches and this is the fruit of uh, a couple like uh, Cruz Mario and uh, Katie and so uh, just fantastic to see that chain that continues to this day um, a mother church training a daughter church that trains a granddaughter church and the chain of evangelism discipleship and church planting just keeps going and part of that chain comes all the back to the trainer goes back to the multiplication network and of course to the donor and the person who is able and willing to participate and say hey this is what I can do to help I'll pray for you I'll encourage you and I'll send you a check that helps you uh, get this work done let's do it together mm -hmm. it's really great to hear that chain reaction yeah that's just continuously going yes all right well thank you again for joining me I really appreciate it Thank you for being part of that chain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Blessings. Yeah. Thank you for listening and for supporting Multiplication Network through your gifts and prayers. If so led, we encourage you to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. You can also visit our website, multiplicationnetwork.org, to learn more about becoming a monthly multiplier, read testimonies from church planters around the world, sign up for our monthly newsletter, and more. For reaching more together, I'm Abby Winter.